Now, before we read our passage, I just want to give you a little bit of background. In chapter 18, you can kind of scan through verses 9 through 12. And there you're going to see some of the background. There's a king named Hezekiah who's over the king, uh, the, the people of Israel. And then there's this king of Assyria in verse 9 who comes against God's people. And in verse 10, he takes God's people away from their home. Verse 11, the, the king of Assyria takes them away to Assyria. And then verse 12 tells us why. Because they did not, God's people did not obey the voice of the Lord their God. They didn't listen to him and they did not obey him. So this great superpower in the world, Assyria, comes and takes them away from God's presence. Then in verse 13, there's this new king from those, those bad guys in Assyria who now are coming against the rest of God's people in the southern kingdom of Judah. And the king of God's people in verse 15, in order to pay him off, to to keep him away, gives him this wicked king, all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of, of the king's house. In verse 16, the king stripped all the gold from the temple and gave it to the threatening king. So with that, would you stand with me? And we're going to read the passage, chapter 18, verses 17 through 37. And I want you to know that the villain in the story is a man named Rabshakeh. Rabshakeh is uh, the representative of the, the big bad king of Assyria. And even though Rabshakeh is a villain, as I read you his words, I want you to listen carefully to his questions. Listen carefully to his questions. Second Kings 18, verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. That's the capital of God's people. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, say to Hezekiah, your king, thus says the great king. The king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars your king Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a wager with 
my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic. We understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who were on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat of their own dung and drink their own urine? Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, hear the word of the king of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me. And come out to me, then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of you his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hina and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the rapture. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. The subject of my talk this morning is when disaster comes knocking. When disaster comes knocking. You know the drill. You're in grade school. And there's a bully. And that bully corners the sweet kid, clenches his fist, and says, give me your lunch money. And that's the backstory. The king of God's people, Hezekiah, is a really sweet kid. He's one of the best kings God's people had ever known. The king of Assyria is the bully. He's broken in to God's land. 
as if coming into God's very home and taking away from God's house 10 out of 12 of God's children. Ten tribes of the people of Israel. Well, that bully king is replaced by another bully king. And the sweet king is in a moment of panic. And he commits a big no-no in verses 14 and 15. Hezekiah is trying to pay off Assyria to leave the rest of God's people alone. So he just empties out God's very house of silver and gold and gives it to the bully. That is a no-no. Because God's king is supposed to trust God alone. Even when they have bullies they're facing. Well, then you get to verse 19. And there's a knock on the sweet kid's front door. Just imagine him looking out the blinds and who does he see but the bully's henchman. Rabshakeh especially. And Hezekiah knows something you need to learn. What he had hoped in was foolish. No bully has ever been satisfied with just a few bucks. Disaster is at the door. Now, I wonder if you can relate to any of this. Maybe you could just think back to what you were doing 21 years ago this moment. On 9-11. When disaster came to thousands, the disaster of death came to thousands in that tower and then to all of their survivors. I was thousands of of miles away from that event. And I realized in that moment from that event that there are going to be disasters in my life and in this world. Threats, dangers that I cannot stop. From coming to my door. No one lives through this world. Without facing disaster. And here we see. That includes God's very people. So whether you have come this morning. And you identify yourself as a Christian or not. I want you to consider this. When you hear that disaster comes knocking. This passage can be a great help to you if you are imagining that thing that you are most afraid of happening to you. Here's what I want you to leave with. Uh, it's, uh, when, when all hope is gone, trust God alone. That sounds nice. Uh, I want to I change it up, though. This is what I want you to leave with. I'm sorry, I'm messing with you. The screen says one thing. I'm, I'm changing it. Here it is. When disaster takes all your hope. When disaster takes all your hope. Give God all your trust. When disaster takes all your hope. Give God all your trust. When God's people answer the door that day. Rabshakeh, the enemy has two questions for him. 
Who are you going to call? And who can come through? And that's how we'll walk through the passage. Point number one. The first question. Who are you going to call? Verses 19 through 25. Look, look back in, in verse 19 of chapter 18. The first question. Rabshakeh says. Say to your king. Thus says the great king. The king of Assyria. On what do you rest this trust of yours? And you'll find that word trust in verse 20 as well. Verse 21 as well. Verse 22 and verse 24. This section is about who are you going to trust? Who are you going to call when disaster comes knocking? You need to call on someone who has expertise with that kind of a disaster. I know you've been waiting for it, so let me just give it to you. When there's something strange in the neighborhood, who are you going to call? Well, it was a good thing that the New Yorkers uh, found the Ghostbusters in the yellow pages whenever the ghost just showed up in New York City. Rabshakeh, in some ways, is just walking through the yellow pages of Israel. He's walking through all the ads and all the offers. And he says in verse 20, look, if you call on your words to be warriors, it's, you're going to be foolish. You have no hope in your words. Verse 21, if you call on Egypt, you're going to regret it. Verses 23 and 24, look, Call up all your armed forces. Call up the National Guard. Call up all your men. Call up all your boys. And 2,000 of them would not stand a chance against the 185,000 troops that I brought to your front lawn. Beloved, this is not a movie. Life is not just make-believe. Real disaster is in this world. This is a scary place. Young people, I, I, I want you to let this set in. You're going to come to moments of disaster. Listen to me. Disaster is coming and, and you will face moments where all your hope is taken away. The reason that Rabshakeh says to God's people that they are hopeless if they hope in Egypt or any of these other solutions is, is, is because those are the very things every one of us turns to. Whenever we face disasters, these are the things that we try to hope in, either Great countries, great leaders, our words to get us out of a pinch. I'm acquainted with coming to hopeless moments. For me, it's often when I'm just overwhelmed by danger. And it's spiritual danger. It's the spiritual realities of being a pastor who is so very weak himself and I feel hopeless more regularly than I wish I did 
And there's something to what Rabshakeh is asking. If you hope in the wrong things, you won't have any hope at all. He's right. Their words can't do anything. Their soldiers can't do anything. Egypt can't help them out of this disaster. And I have so many times when I am hopeless. Here's the problem. I have looked too long at how bad things are. Or how weak I am and and how weak all these solutions I'm looking to are. And I become hopeless. Let me ask you, who are you going to call when disaster comes for you? Let me give you the only right answer is God. When disaster takes all your hope, give God in that moment all of your trust. And yet, the Rabshakeh isn't done with the yellow pages. Because in verse 25, he brings out the big solution. That God's people should hope in. And listen to what he says. Verse 25. Is it without your God that I have come up against your place, your house to destroy it? It is the Lord who said to me, go up against this people and destroy them. This land and destroy it. He's telling part of the truth. Verse 12. What was the reason given in verse 12 for why it is the king of Assyria came and took the ten tribes of Israel? Because they disobeyed the Lord. And he told them, if you do this to me, I will send people to take you away. Now, Rav Shaka is only going to give us part of the answer. He doesn't understand all that's going on in this disaster. Several months ago, um, I saw disaster, well, quite literally coming down my street. Um, we were about to move houses. And the disaster I saw was the ungodly amount of things that we had collected across 20 years of marriage. And, and what I, the disaster I saw coming is having to transport all those things from that house to the new house. And the worst part of it was all crammed into our attic. Um, and, and I knew this would be a disaster if anyone came over and agreed to actually help us get that stuff out of the attic. And so I knew, I knew this lesson that the, the greater the disaster, the few, the fewer will, will actually answer my call. If they know how bad this is, they ain't coming. And so I knew what I had to do. I had to hide the attic until from all my friends until they absolutely had to, they thought we were done. Now, I was embarrassed and my friends were annoyed. And yet that, that disaster um, is really minor, is really minor uh, compared to what commonly comes upon us. 
uh, disasters or dangers that you cannot handle on your own. You cannot fix on your own. It is common and it may be varied. Like it may be different for different people. It, it may be a disease that you can't fix or, or a disease that comes upon a loved one that kills them. Disasters can be relational. You know, think of people who God has given to them desires, good and godly desires in their marriage. And yet they're married to someone who is unfaithful to God's desires for who they should be as a spouse. And that spouse suffers really relationally. Or it's the disaster of constantly being faithful and loving others and being rejected time and time again. Or it's the disaster of loneliness, just not having the resources that you need to help with whenever hard things come. Or it could be the disaster of financial ruin or the threat of financial ruin. It could be any number of circumstances or fears that are disasters that threaten everyone in this world. And it would be a nice thing when disaster comes knocking to have someone you can call upon. But the question is, can they come through? That's a different matter altogether. Can they come through? You see, the bully's first question that we need to consider is about availability. Who can you possibly call who will be available for this kind of fight? But then the second question he asks is not about availability, but ability. Who can actually, who is able to help you when disaster comes knocking? So point number two is the question that comes to us in verses 26 through 37. Who can come through? Hezekiah's men asked the Rabshakeh if he would please just keep it down. Could you please just speak to us in another language that we understand, but the people of God will not understand? He says there in verse 28, he, uh, when he hears that, he calls out, the villain calls out, the bully calls out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, hear me. Hear the king of Assyria. Verse 29. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to come through. He won't be able to deliver you out of my hand. This section is about who can come through. Because that word deliver, who can deliver you when I get my arms around you. That word deliver is, is in this passage six times. Who can come through when disaster comes knocking? And Rabshakeh then gives two answers. He says, well, it's not your king. Look in verse 31. It's not your king who can come through for you. But it's very interesting what he says next. 
Listen, why would you want him? To deliver you from me. You notice what he offered? Everyone's going to have their own vine. Everyone's going to have their own fig tree. Everyone's going to have their own property and water. You're going to, I'm going to take you away to live. If you follow me, the enemy says, I'll take you to heaven. Because those are the same descriptions of the promised land of God. He's promising heaven. I don't know if there are any ancient Assyrian historians in the house. I know we've got some homeschoolers here, so maybe. Um, these guys, the Assyrians, have promised other nations heaven before. But whoever opens the front door is skinned alive. And then the rest of the people in the house are stripped naked by the Assyrians. This is what they do when they come to a city. And then they would line everyone up in chains, single file. You can just imagine it. They would force noses down to the backside of the person in front of them. That's the heaven that they delivered as they carried them away in chains. So I don't know if, if there's anything in you that just loves the swagger and the courage and the bravery of Rabshakeh when he comes and taunts in these ways. But just understand this. He's Hitler. He's Hitler whenever Hitler told the Jews that he made these great cities that they can have all to themselves. You're just going to love it. Just get in the train. Who's going to come through for you when disaster comes knocking? Not your king. But then secondly, he says, not your God. Verse 35, look there. Who among all the gods of all the lands that we have come and done this to, who of all of their gods have ever delivered their lands out of my hands, says the king of Assyria? Do you really think the Lord is going to be any different and deliver you out of my hand? No God of any nation has ever come through. And your God will be no different. There's something um, you should know about being a Christian. Learn this from chapter 18. And that is that Christians live in chapter 18 circumstances more than I am comfortable with. We live when disaster is right there in front of us. Under real threat of someone who has won against everybody. And in verses 36 and 37, the chapter ends with them silent and terrified and tearing their clothes because they are so 
afraid of what the, the king of Assyria is about to do to them. Redeemer Church, listen to your pastor. We need 2 Kings 18 to remind us that we need disaster response plans. We need a plan. We need to be ready because the disaster, if it's not at your door now, it's coming. So here's, here's the disaster response plan. Step one, listen very, very carefully to the bully. Let him finish. Don't be rude, you know, and interrupt when he says back in verse 30. Listen to him when he says, do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. And this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. You let him finish. But then step two, you go and you do the exact opposite of what he just said. And sometimes the bully's in your own heart. The bully's in your own heart. Don't let anyone tempt you to believe that God can deliver you. That God will come through for you. That God can help you. You listen, step one, and step two, you do the opposite of what they said. Assyria has come up against a lot of nations, and none of their gods have come through. But Assyria has never met a real God before. Have you? Have you? A real God, a real God, not your imaginary God, not the gods like the rest of the nations have that people have just made up. A real God who is absolutely holy. Unlike anyone else, completely pure and righteous and worthy and totally deserving of his people's trust and allegiance and faithfulness. So deserving of it, he demands it of them. Real God who can say, if you honor me, you will live and no one can touch you. But if you don't honor me, I will send a nation to take you out of your home. A real God who can say that and a thousand years later. He does it. That's what he did with those ten tribes of the northern kingdom. Now, if I, I know that we're just covering chapter 18, but if I, if I did leave the story here, I, I would feel like the bully. And I don't want to do that. So just turn the page to chapter 19 and verse 35. After all this happens, God's king, Hezekiah, that sweet kid, turns to the Lord and calls on the Lord. And he gives him all his trust. And this is what the Lord does in verse 35. That night, 
the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, those ones who were so silent in their fear, behold, 185,000 were all dead bodies. 185,000 against just one God. And they had no chance. See, the part that Rabshakeh, whether this is a real person in your life or the whispers of your own discouraged and fearful heart, the one thing that Rabshakehs don't know is the God who sent the disaster can stop the disaster. God sent the disaster. Because they disobeyed him. He was patient with them for hundreds of years. But then he kept his word and sent the disaster. And then when they depended upon him and trusted in him alone, whenever disaster took all their hope away from them, he stopped the disaster. Listen, the God who sends the disaster can stop the disaster. And, and Christian, God sends disasters. And he sends them still, you can see it in the New Testament, to discipline his beloved children when we disobey him. This is one thing he does. He disciplines us by sending things that we can't get out of without his help. And in those situations, only he can stop it. Give him all your trust then. But God also will send disasters to us, not because of our disobedience. Even when we're obeying him, God will send disasters to help us learn to trust him more. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We do not want you to be unaware. Know the affliction that we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That means he wanted to die. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will always deliver us. If you're a Christian, you need to embrace this truth. What God believes is best for you is for you to trust him alone. That is his ultimate goal for you. Trust is best and it's better than a disaster less life. Don't believe what anyone else is telling you about how if you trust him, he'll keep every disaster away from you. It's just not true. So there are, as we saw in the first point, people who we should not hope in because they can't help us. But there are also things you should not hope for. There are things you should not hope for. And that's a disaster less life. 
God is still God when disaster comes knocking. He is God over disasters. Let's take the, the worst one, death. You know, even death proves that God can be trusted. Have you thought about this? He's the one who said, if you sin against me, you will die. And so that means every grave you walk by, every funeral of every loved one that is tragic, is also doing something else. It is giving you evidence that God keeps his word. You can trust that what he says, he does. And every Christian has deficiencies in our trust. We may not think it, but we have deficiencies in, in withholding trust from God. And he knows how to get it. And so he allows suffering circumstances to come into our lives. And we're to trust him. That's why he does it. He's committed, if we put it in the language of last sermon, he's committed to us staying needy. And so you need to be committed to holding on. Because there is hope. When, when disaster takes all your hope, give God all your trust. See, it's not true, actually, that disaster can take all our hope. But in our experience, it feels that way. All that's showing is that we were hoping for the wrong things. And that's for ease. Or that all the lessons we needed to learn in trusting the Lord are over. But there is hope. And this is what you should hope for. First Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Fully and finally in the world to come in heaven. But often in this life. It only comes after suffering. Though. I wonder. If this view of. A God who sends disasters on his own people. Is the kind of God you've heard of. That you know to be the true God. Kind of God who we, we heard read about earlier, who uh, judgment begins with his own house. He sends judgment to his own children first. But if it begins with us, it says, what will happen to those who do not obey him? If the righteous, those who trust in Christ, are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner, those who do not believe in him? There are some here who need to learn something different from 2 Kings 18. Because currently today, you are in the position not of Israel, but Assyria. And there is a disaster that is coming on all who do not live trusting God alone. There's a disaster coming on all those who live, who show by their life, no matter what their lips say, they live like they trust in themselves. 
who love the world and don't love the Lord. And it is the disaster of hell. And I'm here to tell you that you don't have to claim even to believe in God. For God to have a claim on you. You were made by him. And I was made by him. And therefore he has claim. Rights over us. And we're going to answer to him. Let me ask you. How can you be sure that hell itself is not knocking at your door? What hope could you possibly have? Who are you going to call then when it's God's hell that's coming for you? Who can come through for you when it's God's hell that is coming to you for your sins that you have chosen? Listen, only the God who sent the disaster can stop the disaster. And God has a son. And Jesus Christ came to earth to answer this call. The call of people who have lost all hope in all the things they were looking to to make themselves safe forever. He is the one who can come and stop the disaster of their sin. Jesus Christ came to do this, but he couldn't just call the disaster back. You need to understand our sins against a holy God require death. And so the one who came to deliver us died on a cross in the place of sinners. As a holy sacrifice to take our disaster for us. And you should call on him. Because he's not dead anymore. He is raised. And this is what Revelation chapter 3, our last passage, told us. Behold, the Lord Jesus says, I stand, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. When Jesus knocks on the door, it's not the knocking of a bully. Bullies love to take. Jesus loves to be trusted. Jesus loves to give salvation to everyone who calls on him alone. So let me. Encourage everyone here to call on Jesus Christ. And he will come through. I'm not saying that disaster, other kinds of disasters won't threaten you. But the most disastrous disaster won't come anywhere near you. I'm going to leave you with this. It's not. Don't. You're going to you're going to find times in your life where you are feeling pretty hopeless and when your trust is pretty low. Remember, it is not the level of our trust that makes us safe. It's the ability of the one we call on that makes us safe. And Jesus Christ is able and he is available.
All we have to do is call. And he comes. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would teach us this truth that everyone who calls on you will not be put to shame. Give us this truth when disasters take our hope, disasters tempt us to place our hope in the wrong people and hope for the wrong things. Lord Jesus, give us grace in that moment to give all our trust to you. And we pray this for your glory and for our everlasting good. Amen.